Hello and welcome back to another episode of Talk and Chop, the official podcast of FSU Student Newspaper, the FSU and Florida Flambeau. I am your host, Logan Grutchfield, and I am joined today by the sports editor of the FSU and Florida Flambeau, uh, occasional Tomahawk Talk contributor as well, Thomas Martinez. Thomas, how are you doing? I'm doing well. Thanks for having me back. Thanks for coming on again. I know we've got a lot to talk about today. Um, FSU had their second basketball game of the season last night. Um, and it was definitely, I know the Indiana-Florida State matchup was definitely one of the tougher losses that FSU had last year. I'm sure a lot of fans had this one circled on their calendar um, this season. Especially, I remember watching that game last year. It was just frustrating seeing Indiana seemingly hit every single shot in the last five minutes and make you know what was a close game turn into a bloodbath at the end and this game certainly didn't disappoint florida state knocked off indiana 69 67 and the game went to overtime um and it was i mean it certainly looked like that game would go to a second overtime until uh, scotty barnes was able to drain a, a jumper with just over i want to say just under two seconds left in uh overtime so definitely a lot to dissect here. Um, Thomas, what, what are your thoughts on the game? What, what did you see? Listen, I told you this before the podcast. Uh, this was just a quintessential FSU basketball game. I mean, how many times have we been at the Tucker Center and we've seen FSU obviously not playing at their highest level, not playing at the level that they're capable of playing at, and then they, they just pull off a win at the end. And ultimately, it was – due to a lot of the reasons that we've seen them pull off wins in the past is because of the size of their team. Even even though Balsa Koprovica fouled out at the end, he was such a huge presence. The team, they came up with so many offensive rebounds in big situations, and they just seemed to make the shots that mattered. And that's, you know, it's the same narrative that we've seen with FSU and this whole 25-game home winning streak. It's just they they make the plays that matter. I completely agree. And you talk about that that 25-game home winning streak. Another winning streak I saw um, after, I think it's their 10th consecutive win in overtime. Uh, but you talk about that 25-game win streak. I was in the stadium for the game last night, and it was only, I mean, at 25% capacity. The Tucker Center still got loud. I'm sure, I know you said you could hear it on TV. It was definitely hyped up beyond belief. I'm not going to lie. My throat was definitely sore when I woke up a little bit this morning um, just from all the yelling and screaming that was going on in there. And I, I completely agree. This was definitely, I, I think, your assessment that the team didn't really play at their full potential is, is, is pretty spot on. Um, I think there was definitely, especially, um, I know I felt like watching that Trace Jackson Davis um, – the power forward, I believe, for Indiana, he really seemed to have FSU's number. And then shooting free throws, um, I mean, FSU was uh, atrocious. I mean, just from the stripe. Um, definitely areas to be improved on there. But one thing that did surprise me was just the degree to which – now, uh, we all know Coach Leonard Hamilton likes to utilize his bench a lot more than seemingly – any other or most other college basketball programs. And I mean, you look at Indiana, 
they had 61 of their 67 points come from their starters. I mean, that's that's not a, a totally surprising number. But what did surprise me was that FSU had the same number come from their starters, you know, and usually you have um, guys rotating in and, and out that, you know, even if you're starting, it doesn't mean that you're going to be, you know, playing the majority of the minutes. But um, I, I was surprised to see a, a little bit of a diminished reliance on the bench as opposed to at least in the past, you know, um, is there anything that you might attribute to that Thomas? I think the fact that the bench players weren't provided or providing what FSU wanted to be fair though, the bench I'm looking right now, the bench players only put up 14 shots last night and they only made two of them. So yeah, they got some looks, but they just weren't making them. Um, Raekwon gray. I'm sorry. Raquan Evans, you know, he took four shots from the field. He made zero of them. The only two players who scored were Malik Osborne and Calhoun, the transfer. Um, so, you know, the, the bench just wasn't providing what they needed at the end of the day. And I, I was texting a friend at the end of the game last night. I was like, it's time for MJ Walker to step up because it seems like he's the one player more than maybe any other player other than Trent Forrest on Florida State over the last three seasons who it seems like when the team is in these type of situations that we've talked about, you know, that they're not playing at their best level, he steps up. A game that I think of last year was at Miami when it seemed like MJ Walker was just hitting every three-pointer in the world at the end of that game. FSU was down by six late in that game, and he helped pull them back. This, this Indiana game, it wasn't as crazy of an FSU comeback as we've seen in the past, but he hit a clutch three at the end. What surprised me the most was that Scotty Barnes played such a big role offensively in overtime. I mean, he only finished three of 10 from the field last night, but he hit two of arguably the three biggest shots for the team last night, other than the MJ Walker three-pointer. I completely agree. And I think, you know, one, I mean, we're definitely, we've got a lot to criticize here or not criticize, but we've definitely got a lot of, you know, less than positive points that we've been focusing on in a win that's arguably, I would certainly say, the toughest out of FSU's non-conference slate. But I think, you know, you talk about Scotty Barnes as well. I was pleasantly surprised to see the role that he played. And I was also very pleasantly surprised by just some of the comments he had after the game. You know, he was just getting badgered with these questions from the um, media about, okay, you know, how do you feel you hit a game winner with, you know, 1.8 seconds left, and this is your second game in college, you know, just that's a huge moment. And he was just like, ah, you know, just, just another day. He's focused on, he's on to Cincinnati. He's on to the next game. Yeah, exactly. So he's pulling a Bill Belichick right there. And I I was just, I mean, the poise of Scotty Barnes is what really has just, you know, stuck out to me so far. It hasn't seemed like, I mean, granted, we're talking about a two-game sample here, and there wasn't really any huge moments that I would point to in, say, the UNF game, at least not on the, you know, not when talking about a tight game as we would here. But, um, I mean, he definitely didn't seem phased at all by the moment in that situation. I think that's something to be very pleased about. And, yeah, I think just, yeah, going back to that point about the bench, they definitely weren't providing what – uh, Coach Ham would be looking for. And then also, I was very surprised to see, we obviously saw Balsa Koprovica get into foul trouble. He fouled out um, later in the game. 
But I was surprised to see, you know, coming in for him, a lot more of Malik Beasley than, say, uh, Tenorna Gom or Quincy Ballard, you know. And I'm just, I would just guess that they're probably not, I mean, they're definitely the bigger transfers that FSU has gotten, or excuse me, Nagam's a transfer. Um, but I'm guessing that, you know, Malik Beasley's got just more experience. Malik Osborne. You know, he was, Malik Osborne, excuse me, excuse me. <laughs> Sorry, I'm getting mixed up here. But um, he's just got the, you know, experience and, you know, can play more in those spots um, than rather where Nagawan Ballard might be. Yeah, for sure. Malik Osborne was huge last night. I mean, he ended with nine rebounds and four of which were four offensive rebounds. I mean, the team ended with 19 offensive rebounds. And when you shoot 36% from the field, that's probably one of the only ways that you can win. Not too many teams win games that they shoot 36% from the field, around 50% from the th- free throw line. Um, but ultimately, it was offensive rebounding, and it was a turnover margin. But back to Malik Osborne, it's just part of the same narrative that we've seen at FSU over the last few years. It seems like every time that there's roster turnover, it seems like the next year there's somebody to step up in the absence of a key rotation player. Malik Osborne, he was a contributor last year, but I don't remember him playing such a big role in the rebounding game. Nine rebounds. Fausto Koprovica, I was saying last night to somebody that he was probably, if I had to pick somebody who's probably FSU's worst rotation player a year ago, and he was dominant in the first half before he got into foul trouble. Yeah. He was dominant. It seemed like he was getting everything he wanted and even the shots that he wasn't putting down, they were uncontested layups, it seemed like. Uh, he finished 6 of 12 from the field. But Dasa Koprovica definitely showed his promise. Listen, FSU, if they're going to beat you, they're going to beat you with their size. They're going to beat you with their rebounding. And then everything else comes after that. If, if you add anything else after that, it's just it's almost impossible to beat FSU. If FSU shoots 50% from the field, it's going to be impossible to beat FSU. They did shoot 40% from three, so that definitely was big. But at the end of the day, I find it so impressive. FSU, at least this morning, I'm not sure after tonight's games, um, but as of this morning, FSU was the only team in the ACC that had played less than three games. And, of course, that was due to the Gardner-Webb game that was eventually postponed and moved to later on in December. Um But I find it so impressive that you play a team that was playing against good opponents at the Mohegan Sun event. Indiana, they've now played five games. They've played four entering the FSU game. They've played three more games than you. And you enter that game and you end up outplaying them, even though you're not playing your best basketball. And you do it because you did it on the boards. So a lot of credit goes to Malik Osborne. A lot of credit goes to Koprovica. And, yeah, they were definitely huge contributors to that win. Oh, 100%. And, again, yeah, forgive me for saying Malik Beasley when I meant Malik Osborne. I was I was getting my Seminoles mixed up there. So, um, but, yeah, no, I was very pleasantly surprised with the play of Malik Osborne. I shouldn't say pleasantly surprised, but just, you know, I, I was really I, – I did enjoy their performance. And then that first half from Balsa Cobra Visa was just – monstrous he was you're right he was slamming everything down you know he was just murdering indiana quite frankly on the boards um and i mean it was i think that really 
you know, for a first half that was ended on that really frustrating note, I'm trying to recall who it was that had that just wide open dunk double clutched on it and, you know, didn't get two points that certainly could have paid off later. I think it was Raekwon Evans. Yes. Raekwon Evans. That's, that's who it was. And that was just, I mean, it was like, you could kind of hear the oxygen get sucked out of the Tucker center when it happens. Like, did we just see this, you know, but um, yeah, Balsa Kovrovica was definitely a monster there. I'd say easily the bright spot of the first half for, um, for FS, for Florida state. Yeah, he definitely was. Balsa Kovrovica was huge. And I remember last season, um, I was hearing a lot of hype around him before the season. Obviously, um, it was him and Dominique Alijnicek. Those were the two big guys for Florida State a year ago. And I heard all the hype about around Balsako Pervita as somebody who would potentially go to the NBA. And I just did not see it last year. And I think part of that was adjusting to the college game. He definitely gained some size over the offseason. But last season, I was like, man, this is just like Chris Kumaji 2.0 because um, yeah, Chris Kumaji, who's what, seven foot four, seven foot three, and he only got over 10 rebounds in a game a couple of times at Florida State. So he might have had the size, but he wasn't very aggressive off the boards. And Balsako Pervica showed me something last night that I might have only seen once or twice last year. If I remember correctly, I think he balled out against Boston College in the game that clinched the ACC championship for Florida State. But other than that, I don't remember him having that big of an impact for the team throughout the stretch run last year. Um, but he's going to be huge this year. He's going to be huge, um, especially with the Legion of Czech gone. He's the big guy or out of the big guys. That's pretty funny. But yeah, about the Kopravica, yeah. he's going to be huge for Florida State. Um, obviously, they're not going to play a team taller than them. Um so they have to capitalize at their advantages. You know, basketball is just a game of, you know, playing to the other team's weakness, essentially, or attacking the other team's weakness and playing to your strengths. Um, and obviously, Leonard Hamilton knows how to do that. Um, I think this team shows a lot of promise. Um, something else I want to get back to, I want to get back to Scotty Barnes, um, because I did say that he he was huge in overtime, and you touched on it a little bit, but... He's definitely somebody, if I were to look at anybody on this team um, who seems like they've been the most impacted by a pandemic and by not being able to go through the motions of exhibition games and a regular offseason, I would say that Scotty Barnes has been the most impacted by that. Um, And you saw the promise in overtime last night, but you also saw a lot of tipped passes. It seemed like he was trying to do too much for most of the game. And we saw some of that against North Florida, a lot of tipped passes. He had that shot blocked near the end of the game. I believe the possession. Um, I don't remember if that was in um, the second half or in overtime, but he got a shot blocked that could have put Florida state in the lead. Um, so he was, he was trying to do too much, but he, again, he came back with those highlight moments. He did it against UNF with that dunk in transition He did it last night to a much larger degree with the game-winning shot. Um, But again, I think Scotty Barnes, I think that he's somebody that by the end of the regular season, he's going to definitively be FSU's most important player. I don't think that I could say that he's at that level right now, but I'm pretty confident that he'll reach it. 
Oh, certainly. And I think, I don't know that for him we'll see as, you know, dramatic of, you know, just growth as a player as we did with Balsa Kovrovica last year. But I think definitely the Scotty Barnes that we see at the end of the season will not be the one that we're, you know, seeing tonight, who still, or we saw last night, who still obviously quite talented, you know, but I, I, I think you're probably spot on there and just saying that he was probably trying to do a little bit more than than he needed to. And then you talked about, you know, Coach Ham's just way of attacking some of these games. He knows that he's got a big team. I always think of, gosh, I can't remember. It was that one press conference. I, I want to say it was a month or two ago. He had his phone ring, and he, he silenced it, and he just goes, oh, yeah, that kid's five. I remember that, yeah. Back. Oh, yeah. So he's pretty funny about it, but I mean, he, 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 he knows that that's the strength that this team has that, I mean, size, you know, size, and then just on the boards is where they're going to be beating teams. And we saw it a lot in the UNF game. I almost got the sense that with the way that they attack North Florida, I mean, it was really just, I mean, the confidence just in what, the, you know, of, Leonard Hamilton and what the players could do, but it also seemed to, it, it seemed to be almost just daring UNF to be like, all right, you know, if you guys go ahead and, you know, just are lights out from three, well, there isn't, you know, a ton that we can do about it. If you are just, you know, you have like the God hand when you're shooting, you know, and it seemed like tonight, obvious or last night, you know, they wanted to kind of, you know, just get those opportunities where they knew that they would be able to just outplay Indiana you know, right under the hoop, you know, and get the, get, um, you know, critical rebounds right there. But I was also, I mean, talking about uh, Indiana head coach, Archie Miller's, you know, kind of similar thought process. I think that he did an exceptional job of kind of forcing FSU to take a lot more just contested shots than they might've liked. Um, and I think that both coaches, I mean, we're really, I, I think this was an extremely well-coached game is, is the point I'm trying for to make. For sure. It definitely was. And it was a game that's going to prepare Florida State for ACC play. Because when you think of ACC basketball, you think of physical basketball, you think of great defense. You know, you don't think of too many games that are going into the 80s or the 90s. Uh, you think of a team that's won a national championship recently in Virginia, who's playing a lot of games that end in the 40s. So defense, I mean, it's crazy because there's very few sports that from the collegiate to professional level look so different. But if you show somebody ACC basketball and then you show them the NBA, I mean, they tell you that it's two different versions of basketball completely. And I think that Indiana game last night definitely prepared Florida State for that type of play. Um, yeah, it was definitely a well-coached game by both teams. I think Florida State, even at the end, if they were going to beat Indiana, as you said, they were going to have to make contested shots. You saw it with Scotty Barnes' floater at the end. When he put that up, I didn't think it was going in. It ended up going in. MJ Walker, he seems like he's the king of making congested, um, sorry, contested jumpers for Florida State. Um, probably the shot that surprised me the most down the stretch was Malik Osborne. I think some, I think he just pulled up from from three. Um, near the corner, near the end of the second half, and I was not expecting that he hit that shot. If Florida State doesn't shoot 40% from three last night, they don't win that game. 
I think Florida State was obviously the most talented or the more talented of the two teams. Um, but Indiana really executed their game plan well. I mean, they got Koprovitz into foul trouble. I'm sure that's something that they wanted to do. Um, they they made Scotty Barnes take or they made Scotty Barnes shoot 30% from the field. That's not all of them. That's just Scotty Barnes too. His shot selection could have been a little bit better. Um, but at the end of the day, this is a game that could have gone either way. Florida State, I mean, to the to the outsider, it's a game that could have gone either way. But it's gone to the point with Florida State basketball that they could be down by six with a minute left, and I'll be like, oh, that's fine. They'll, they'll pull it out. It's Florida State. It, it's got, ridiculous. Yeah. Like, if I tell it to somebody, they'd be like, what are you talking about? But I remember watching them play against USF at the Orange Bowl Classic last season. They were down by, like, ten points with, like, five minutes left. Florida State came back. Two seasons ago, they were playing LSU in their in a non-conference game. I forgot where that game was being played. Florida State was down by 13 points with five minutes left. They came back. Notre Dame last season, they were down by like 16 points in the final 10 minutes. They came back. So, you know, Florida State, they have a knack for winning these close games. Some of it's coaching and some of it is the players just executing at the highest level when it matters the most, as I said earlier. I, yeah, I think you are – you hit the nail on the head right there. It's, I mean, just a combination of, you know, it's definitely coaching. It definitely comes down to obviously these players doing, you know, what they have to do in the moment, you know. I mean, especially in that, you know, with that Scotty Barnes where he, you know, got up in the air, bumped uh, – I want to say it was Armand Franklin for Indiana, you know, for that, it that was, final yeah. shot. Um, yeah, yeah, Armand Franklin. So, yeah, no, it's just, it's beyond, you know, it's like, you, yeah, you're right. To an outsider, it's almost hard to explain it. Like, you know, they'll just pull it out, you know, a little easy, you know. Um, or might have been a little work, but, you know, not not too much. Um, and then looking ahead, I know we have this um, big rivalry matchup. It hasn't been much of a rivalry uh, as of late. Um, do you see any... I mean, what, do you see a path to victory for UF if you're if you're going to play devil's advocate here, Thomas? You know what? You know, is there any way that you could see UF beating FSU? I, I don't know. I I don't know too much about um, UF's roster. I I think that they have a few key pieces back from last season. Obviously, Keontae Johnson. Um, I, I think Florida State's going to pull it off. I remember going to that game the last year in Gainesville. UF was ranked, I believe they were in the top five in the country. Florida State was. They were like number six. I remember going, I remember I was there as well. And I was like, are you kidding me? Like, this is. The and I wish they were the ranked uh, near that level again this season because it would just be funny because it's happened. I believe it happened the last two seasons that it was a ranked Florida team playing against the Seminoles. And FSU won both of those games handily. And when you talk to me about that rivalry, obviously Florida State's won the last six games in that matchup. <laughs> the biggest impression that I get is, I believe it was Trent Forrest last season, getting the ball and just planting it on the Gator head in Gainesville last year to kind of just say, you know, we own you guys. We own you guys. Six in a row. Yeah, I know that Florida State players are not, you know, they, they fully believe in their capabilities of beating the Gators. Um, and I'm sure, I'm sure the Gators, you know, they probably 
they've circled that on their calendar the second that the schedule came out and said, this is a year that we're going to beat the Seminoles. Um, and Mike White, you know, again, it, it takes a while to build a college basketball program. I mean, how many years did it take Leonard Hamilton to build a program that's competitive for the ACC championship and for a national title? It took him over 10 seasons, and now he's been here for 20 years, and you've really seen it blossom over the, the last five years. Well, you know, UF, I think it's going to take, I think it's going to take a few more years. Obviously, college basketball, anything could happen. You, you watch the, you watch March Madness and anybody can be anybody. So I'm not going to go out here and just, you know, predict a Florida State win, or I could definitely predict a Florida State win, but I'm not going to, you know, just say flat out Florida State's going to win this basketball game. UF has played, I believe, a couple more games than FSU has to this point. Um, and again, UF enters this game um, having not played for a week or six days, I believe. And Florida State, it's, it's a three-day rest. Um, so, you know, there's a few factors mm -hmm. at play. Um, but if I'm a Florida State fan, I think the Indiana game was a bigger scare, could have been a bigger scare to the program. I, I agree. And I just, I mean, looking at kind of the, Again, we're looking at really small sample sizes here, you know, against UNF for sure. And for the most part against Indiana, I think just kind of the execution of, you know, Leonard Hamilton's game plan put into motion, as that makes sense. There didn't really seem to be like execution issues going on. I mean, maybe, you know, um, I, I mean, the one thing is, I mean, clearly Florida State was not as good you know, on free throws, but I mean, that's, you know, a little more unpredictable. I don't see, you know, against, you know, tougher ACC opponents. I could certainly see, you know, uh, I don't know, teams like Virginia being a big hassle, but I, I don't see UF as like a big hiccup and, you know, maybe that might work in their favor. Maybe there's been something going on in Gainesville that, you know, we've all missed, you know, it's just like this game's kind of an automatic one that they could, you know, come out and just shock everything. But I, I, I don't see it. And also, um, you know, just looking, uh, I know these statistics aren't everything, but UF has not won a top 25, uh, not won against a top 25 opponent on the road since they beat LSU in overtime in 2018. So, I mean, that, that's two years right there. I don't know how many, you know, of those games they would have actually played since then. But I, I, I think Florida State's got to have this one, you know, at least they, they would be for sure. Yeah, I'd be surprised if FSU lost. Obviously, you know, the Gators, they have a few guys who were five star prospects out of high school and Scotty Lewis, Trey Mann. Obviously, I already mentioned Keontae Johnson. Um, but until I see it happen, there's no reason for me to believe that the Gators can beat the Seminoles. And earlier I said they'd played a few more games in FSU. They've actually only played three games. They beat Army, Boston College, and Stetson. So, you know, there's not really anything you could take out of those wins, um, even Boston College. Um, but, again, I think Florida State should definitely be favored in this matchup. I would be shocked if FSU lost. I'm sure I'd be getting... I'd be getting a lot of texts from friends who go to UF saying, oh, you guys are a basketball school. Um, so we'll, we'll see. Yeah. That's, that'd be the worst part. Would be the For sure. Part. Yeah, exactly. Um, but 
I, I will say this. I'm happy that this game is at 11 a.m. and that it's before the football game on Saturday. Yeah. Yeah, that'll be for sure. Now, speaking of football, I don't know that if you had asked somebody about this even two years ago that, you know, we would be looking at, you know, two and eight Duke, you know, it's not totally out of realm of the poss- out of the realm of possibility, but two and six Florida State against two and eight Duke. You know, this will be a real toilet bowl matchup, so to speak here. But um, I'm, you know, Duke is 0-20 all time against Florida State. And, you know, when you kind of stack up some of the numbers here for both Duke and Florida State, um, I was reading one analysis that I thought was pretty funny. It was a lot of movable objects on defense versus easily stoppable forces <laughs> on offense. You know, the, the, the opposite of the unstoppable force versus an immovable object. <laughs> So, um, I mean, I, I think we might see a rough one, but, um, uh, I, I, I think overall Florida state might have the edge here. Thomas is there. Who will you have your eye? Jordan Travis. I mean, Florida state, they haven't played in nearly a month. And if there's anyone who's benefited the most from that, it's somebody who's recovering from a concussion. Uh, so I think Jordan Travis I would expect to see a fully healthy Jordan Travis, or at least the closest version to a fully healthy Jordan Travis this week against Duke. Quick thing about this matchup. I, I saw Duke, obviously they lost last week 48-0 to the Hurricanes. And I was talking to a friend and I was like, man, this team sucks. You know, there's there, there's no chance that Florida State loses to them. And then my friend was like, yeah, but Florida State lost by 42 points to Miami. So – so you know what take take that for for what it is i guess um obviously florida state you know they have the more talented players out of the two teams but there's only so much that that counts for if you've watched the last three years of florida state football um florida state they barely had enough players to play against clemson if they were to have played that game a few weeks ago um, I mean, they were planning on trotting out Tate Rodemaker and potentially Wyatt Rector at quarterback for that game. Somebody who switched from quarterback to tight end. Um, Florida State, they've had so many players leave the program. I mean, it's just it's, it's gone to the point where it's a who's who. A James Blackman, Marvin Wilson, Tamori and Terry, Asante Samuel. You name somebody who's been a contributor on Florida State over the last three years, and they've probably left the program. I mean, I mean, that's what it seems like. That's yeah, what it certainly. feels like. You look at the roster right now offensively and tell me the most off or the most dynamic player on that roster other than Jordan Travis. Maybe Lawrence Tofili. Uh, maybe, and he's been, you know, yeah, gone exactly. AWOL last three Maybe Keyshawn Helton, so. the only dynamic guy that you've had at wide receiver – was probably Tamari and Terry and DJ Matthews earlier on. Um, but there's just not too many guys. Cameron McDonald has been solid recently for the Seminoles. He was solid in that Pittsburgh game. He was he caught like six or seven passes in that game. Um, but this team is just so depleted. It's so depleted. But again, Duke is a terrible football team. <laughs> so so as you put you put it perfectly. It's a toilet bowl. <laughs> I know, I know that Coach Norvell, he's just happy that his team could get reps. 
you know, it's been said time and time again over the last month, essentially, that Florida State has the youngest team in the country. Uh, 75% of the players playing are sophomores or freshmen. So he's just happy that they're getting reps. Um, this season's obviously a lost cause when it comes to wins and losses. But maybe if you get a couple wins down the stretch, it's something that gives recruits enough to say, all right, we can see things moving in the right direction. I understand, you know, that you guys beat Duke and Wake Forest the week after if Florida State were to do that. And obviously, that's far from a certainty. But if Florida State were to do that, you know, it gives the recruiting staff a chance to say, here's something that we did. You know, right now you're just you're, you're pitching a yeah. vision. You're pitching a vision to recruits. And obviously I'm mentioning recruiting because the way that you're going to build a winning program is through recruiting. That's just how it works in Florida or not in Florida State in college football. The teams that get the best recruits are usually they're usually geared to win in a way better manner than a team that doesn't get recruits. So. Yeah, you got you got to beat Duke. This is obviously a bigger game for Florida State than it is for David Cutcliffe and Duke. Um, so yeah, I, I I don't know. I I'm interested to see what happens on Saturday, sure. but I'm most excited to see Jordan Travis for sure. I think he's again. I said it. I think he's FSU's most dynamic player. Yeah, I, I certainly agree. And the point that you make about recruiting is just critical, especially, I mean, for college football as a whole. But, I mean, in the state of Florida, which I think it, it's got to be up there with, like, Texas, maybe California. I, I don't I don't know. As I mean, just the most, you know, kind of bountiful state when it comes to recruiting, you know, new talented players. You know, it seems like now everybody is coming out of Miami or Central Florida. You know, you look at these rosters for even Alabama and Georgia and LSU, and these kids are, you know, they're all went to high school in Broward County, it seems like. So it's especially in Florida, you know, having, you know, if you beat Duke and you beat Wake Forest, you know, nobody needs to pretend that you're beating, you know, Clemson or Alabama here. But, you know, just having those wins – it's kind of, you know, you're right. You're selling a vision. And if I'm a recruit, I will say, I'll, I'll believe it when I see it, you know? Um, now that's, I mean, that's obviously the allure of a school like Alabama is you have seen it happen consistently year in and year out. Now for Florida state, obviously that kind of progress has been wiped in the last few years. So having just wins like that, it's not only important for recruiting, but it's also important for you're just talking about the importance of getting these guys reps. 75% of them are freshmen or sophomores. These are going to be guys that will hopefully be around for one, two, three more years. So giving them reps, getting them to kind of buy in and, you know, buy what you're selling is, is critical in this game. Now, if I was going to pick one area where I could see FSU getting untracked, it is against uh surprisingly formidable duke pass rush um they've got they've got one of the better just kind of defensive end combos chris rump the second victor jimukeye they are in the top three within the acc and the only player higher than them is uh uh patrick jones of Pitt, and that was the same thing we said against Pitt. was okay i could see a pass rush that just overwhelms uh offensive line that's been kind of hit or miss 
And I mean, that I think was critical, especially as you had like Chubba Purdy in late in the game, he was running for his life on practically every single pass. So, I mean, in a defense that really has big issues in, or doesn't stop the ball from moving very well. I think that they could still create some pressure up front, you know, for Jordan Travis. And if, for whatever reason, Tate Rotomaker's coming in, you know, for guys that really have clear holes in their game as passers, even without a pass rush coming at them, I could see issues arising from just, you know, if they were getting pressure, just, you know, snap after snap after snap, you know, obviously you're making bad passes, you know, for, for Jordan Travis, I still have not seen a consistent, you know, ability for him to throw over the middle of the field at all, you know, so it's, I'm almost worried that, you know, if you're Duke, again, this is a team that is not good, but I, I almost feel like in some areas of Florida State's game, namely for passing, um, it's almost like, okay, you know, you've seen the game plan, you've seen how teams beat us, literally just do that, you know, so, and again, for Duke, I'm sure that there would be a, um, a similar, a similar situation, and that seems to be, um, rushing attacks. I know that was where Miami just seemed to really, you know, beat the brakes off in there was just, you know, running the ball over and over and over, you know, it'd be, you know, if you're looking last week, the Dallas Cowboys had some of the worst rushing defense and then Duke probably not too far behind them, you know? So um, I think that, you know, with Florida state, they haven't seemed super, super reliant on the ground game this year. Um, I think not, they should have been not as much. On I think they should have been. Yeah, that's what I. That's what we have been saying. We here on Talk and Chop have been saying that over and over. So I, I'm guessing you know Mike Norvell <laughs> hasn't been listening as regularly. Um. So, but yeah, yes. I. I mean, I think if they can just kind of you know keep the ball on the ground, you know, this is a you know great spot to get Deshaun Corbin and Lawrence Toafili reps here get them a little bit more experience now with Madamian Webb opted out. And that's also kind of a big vacuum to fill. I'd say Madamian Webb was probably the most consistent um, running back on this team. And now it'll be kind of a two horse race to see, okay, who can kind of inherit, you know, maybe a presumptive starting job next year. So, I mean, that's, I think if Florida state can do that now, that's what we have been saying for five, six weeks. Hopefully we'll see those um, results this week, but I, I would definitely like to see a lot of them, especially where it seems to be a clear, massive gaping. For sure. I think that the matches, season. the matchups, for sure. I think the matchups are definitely in Florida state's favor. You said that Duke's biggest strength was the pass rush. If Tate Rodemaker was starting for Florida state, I'd be very worried since Jordan Travis is starting, I think that that plays to FSU's strengths, which is Jordan Travis's ability to scramble, get away from pressure, and make something happen. And if you have Jordan Travis out there with Deshaun Corbin, with Lawrence Toafili, I think that that opens up the running game much more. And I think that Florida State should definitely rely on the run against Duke for many reasons, obviously. This is actually an improved offensive line for Florida State, too. Even with Devontae Love-Taylor, your best offensive lineman being out for the remainder of the year, 
this is the first year in a few years that I can definitively say that I'm optimistic about the future of the offensive line at Florida State. They're, they're going to be starting three freshmen against Duke, one sophomore in Dante Lucas, and a senior in Babyon Johnson, a redshirt senior who could return, obviously, due to the rules um, put forth by the NCAA this season. Um Again, you mentioned LaDamian Webb. We still don't know if LaDamian Webb is going to come back next season. Uh, Norbell said that he envisioned that Webb will be back in January, but then Webb said on Twitter that only he knows his future. So we'll see what happens in that regard. But when it comes back to the Duke game, as I said, I think the matchups, they bode in Florida State's favor. When you look at the defensive side of the ball, the fact that Asante Samuel is not going to be there, is definitely unfortunate. Florida State's going to end up starting redshirt freshman in Jarvis Brownlee. And a sophomore in Jerry and D- Jones, who hasn't been terrible this season, he's definitely shown some growth. Um, I'm sure a lot of Florida State fans are wondering where Akeem Dent has been. I don't think that Dent has lived up to the potential that a lot of people had for him as a five-star prospect, who is kind of the gem of Willie Taggart's um full recruiting class at Florida State. So, you know, there's a lot of, there's again, this is a war of attrition. It's a war of attrition. Hampson Nasraldine is going to be playing without any limits for the first time this season against Duke. So it's going to be great having him back in the secondary. I think that that could be a difference in the defense's success against Duke. Um, the fact that you're not playing against an explosive offensive attack helps immensely. It helps immensely. Um, but as I look at it more and more, I don't see why Florida State should lose this game. I don't know why I'm saying that because this is going to come back. You know, Florida State's going to end up losing this game as a result. Um, but there's there's really no reason why Florida State can't win this yeah. football game, and this comes as somebody who has fully watched them this season. So I don't know. It's gonna it's gonna be interesting to see. But again, I think the biggest key to Florida State winning is relying on the running game, relying on Jordan Travis's ability to make plays happen. Because if you don't have that dynamic playmaker back there, you just don't have the weapons to get it done. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, certainly. And I think, yeah, just kind of, if those guys can get loose, um, I mean, especially with, I think just a depleted – I think the defense has definitely taken a lot more of a hit, you know, just with the – you know, in, you know, different units as well. I think if you can let the offense get really just unleashed, you know, and Duke's defense has been incredibly porous. You're right. I, I sit here and I'm saying this. I'm like, there is no reason that this game should be lost. You know, it's – if you can let Jordan Travis run, make passes when he needs to – let Jashawn Corbin and Lawrence Toafili do their thing on the ground. You should have no problem here. I don't – if that can happen, you know, I I am not seeing how this game could be lost, you know, especially just with the inconsistency in the backfield that we've seen from Chase Bryce. Um, Duke's rushing attack hasn't been too bad, but again, um, I don't think there's been a ton of rushers um, that have gotten – you know, totally, you know, let, made this Florida State defense go totally sideways. And the ones that have, I think, were, were extraordinarily talented, as we saw 
for example, in the Miami game. So you're you're completely correct. I, I I'm having a hard time seeing where this game would go sideways for um Florida State. So on that note, I will what is the minus five. I'm looking at it right here. now. Florida State is uh, yeah, Florida State is favored by five FSU? points. Um the over under is fifty seven. FSU favored for once. That is music to my ears. So uh, I, I think it might be that time. If you're going to go with the score prediction here, Thomas, what, what I'm going to say, say Florida State 28, Duke. Actually, no, I'm going to take that back. Florida State 31, Duke 28. At the end of the day, it's special teams that wins it for Florida State. Parker Growthhouse field goal wins it. I like that. That I do like to hear that. I won't lie. Um, Parker Grothaus, I'd love to see him just look a little bit more consistent. That seems to be, you know, him and Ryan Fitzgerald, they really hasn't seemed to be the, you know, clear kicker of the future after we finally moved away from the uh, Aguayo family. So, um, and, and the, the kicking talent that they provided. Uh, in Tallahassee for many years. So I'm going to go a little bit bolder. I'm going to say Florida State 34, you know, maybe two Parker Grothouse field goals in there, and then Duke 24. Um, I think this could be a big game just for Mike Norvell to kind of secure just, you know, commitment to Florida State football from some of these younger players. And I hope to see that, you know, borne out on the yeah, field. for uh, sure. This we'll, we'll see what happens. This Again, this game is not about what happens this season. It's about the future for Florida State in every way possible. Yeah, absolutely. And, and on that note – Not really. Let's see if Mackenzie Milton add? ends up in Tallahassee because I think that that could be the key to how quickly this program could be turned around. That, I love hearing that. I would love to see him here. And I think a transfer quarterback, we've seen that over and over and over again, talked about as that might be, I don't know if, you know, I don't know that it'll be the savior of FSU. There's certainly still a lot of other issues, but I think it could definitely make a lot of things easier, especially on the offensive side of the ball for FSU. So with that, I think that'll wrap up our episode of Talk and Chop. Again, I've been Logan Grutchfield, and I had my editor, Thomas Martinez, on here. You can find our work in the FSU, and it is in the white boxes on campus starting on Mondays, and it is online 24-7. So again, this has been an episode of Talk and Chop. Thanks for tuning in.